I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Okay, everyone, there are two episodes that I have dreamed of recording even before Uncertain Podcast was Uncertain Podcast, before it even was named Uncertain Podcast, before Tears of Eden even existed. Those two episodes are an episode on forgiveness and an episode on anger. I'm still waiting on the right person to have a conversation about forgiveness, but today is the day that one of my absolute dream episodes will come true. I am so excited. This episode is an episode on anger. That's right, anger. And all of the misconceptions that we hear about anger and then how anger helps us both heal and leads to our own personal empowerment. So I'm so excited about this episode. This episode is with Dr. Laura Anderson. Dr. Laura Anderson is a boss. She is the co-founder of the Religious Trauma Institute and founder of Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery. She's a licensed therapist and professor of psychology. I'll link to all of her socials and website in the show notes. So this is the season finale of season three. It's coming sooner in the year than we normally wrap up, but for a good reason. We are in the process of building a community for survivors of spiritual abuse, and we're going to be focusing more on that this fall. But never fear, we will be back with season four and Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month in January. So mark your calendars. You can also help us out with recording season four by giving us your recommendations for topics and guests using the link in the show notes. Speaking of podcasts, I will be a certified trauma recovery coach very soon. So I'm starting another monthly podcast called Pop Culture and Trauma, where I and my many therapist friends will discuss our favorite books, movies, music, and shows through a trauma lens. It's going to be a much more lighthearted podcast than this one. So if you want a fun way to learn about trauma, I encourage you to check it out this fall. Hang out at the end of this episode for a preview of one of my episodes in my new podcast, Pop Culture and Trauma. Here's my interview with Dr. Laura Anderson. So I don't, I don't remember why I reached out to you about talking about anger. You must have posted something about anger and it's one of the (laughs) subjects that I've been really wanting to talk about and explore, especially from the evangelical perspective. It's just the, like the way the anger is handled is just really, it can be spiritually abusive, but then it's also just, it's just used to shame people and keep people from really accessing it. And so I'm excited to address this with you. I love anger. So (laughs) everybody, I know you love anger and I'm like, I do. I was so afraid of it for most of my life because my dad was a very angry, like rage person. And so I just thought anger's bad. Anger's bad. Anger's bad. But realize anger doesn't go away. Yeah, it, no. it sucks, but it doesn't go away. So. Definitely does not. It's got to yes. be felt and expressed. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Felt and expressed. Okay. So yeah. for starters, how have you seen anger serve in trauma recovery? Yeah. Well, you know, I, anger, yes, we, we know that it's like this scary emotion. Sometimes we're told that it's sinful or that it's demonstrative or dangerous, but anger is the emotion that demonstrates that the thing that happened to us was not okay. That there's been a violation, that there's been an infringement on my rights, my boundaries, 
whatever that is. And so anger actually lets us know that what happened to us mattered. And so I feel like, you know, anger gets this bad rap because it's, you know, yelling, screaming, punching holes and things and, and whatnot. When in reality, that's the expression of anger that may not be appropriate or helpful or could Mm -hmm. be harmful. And that's very different from anger as an emotion that it's so important to be able to have access to in to our anger, when we're looking at things like healing, liberation, justice, because those are the things that remind us and tell other people that we are valuable and worthy and, and that it's not okay to be harmed or abused or gaslit or, you know, manipulated, whatever it it might be. So all of a sudden, like the question that you asked went out of my mind, but It happens. happens. And I guess like what's going through my mind is like you said, like punching walls or screaming or whatever, that is an expression of anger. It's not necessarily the emotion of anger. And for Mm -hmm. folks like me who have experienced the tail end of that dangerous, Mm -hmm. potentially inappropriate expression of anger, how would one reconcile that emotion from that expression? And you navigate that. Yeah. So I really think anger is a very active emotion. Like it, it, it does need to be expressed and really it's the way that we express it that can be destructive or, or not. So Mm -hmm. when we're looking at, if I'm using my anger to harm another person, whether it's their physical body or using my words to harm them or or whatnot, I would say that's probably not a healthy um, expression of anger. But when we look at like, the idea of anger needing to be expressed, there's, there's so many other ways that it could be expressed. And that could, a lot of times it's because I said, it's like an active emotion. It could be through things like running, walking, dancing, shaking. It could be something, you know, like writing poetry, music, you know, anything that's allowing us the ability to kind of move that energy through us. It can be very creative or it can be just something that it's like, we're just getting it out of us. You know, sometimes anger does require screaming or yelling, but maybe not at another person. Maybe <laughs> in your car, squeezing yes. the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's getting that energy out in a different way. It could be screaming into a pillow. It could be going out to the woods where there's nobody else there and and really giving yourself that uh, ability to just kind of let it all out. One of the things that I do, I, I kind of pair it with walking as a therapist. I'm trained in EMDR and one of the interventions with EMDR is bilateral stimulation. And really what that means is that both parts of our brains and body are working. And so walking is actually bilateral stimulation. Ooh. Yes. So for me and for a lot of my clients too, actually some of my clients here in Nashville, we will meet at the Greenway, and we will walk and process as a way to do EMDR without doing it in the traditional way. And my clients have found it to be incredibly helpful. Very cool. Because the walking is actually allowing that emotion to go through them. But one of the things that I do um, on my own, so if you ever like walk up behind me on the Greenway, you'll probably hear this, is that I, I call it squispering. And so it's the energy of a scream with the volume of 
of a whisper. It's, you might take some practice, but what our bodies need is not necessarily the volume. It needs the energy release. And so that can be another way. If you're like, well, I can't go to the woods and scream. I don't have a pillow to mm-hmm. scream. You know, there's other people that could hear me being able to scream at a very, very low volume, but have that energy, that same, like, Mm -hmm. Like that is still our body getting it out. And so those are what I would consider some, some maybe more helpful or appropriate because of safety ways to get anger out. Now that's not to say that that might not lead us towards conversations with people towards Mm -hmm. having to set boundaries that redefine relationship towards different actions in our own lives or towards others. Anger often leads to an action after that, but it's, it's, then it's not coming from this heightened space of emotion of, you know, I'm going to fight with you. It's going, no, I'm going to be assertive and draw a boundary or have a very clear communication with you. But I, and I'm doing that from my worth, from my value versus a, a posture of defensiveness. So I do think anger is active. I do think that we need a way to work it through us, but that's going to look different for everybody. And it might even look different in, in uh, various situations. There are sometimes where I feel like I have to be very active. I need use my punching bag. I walk other times I need to cry or I need to write. And so part of it is tuning into your body and going, if my anger had a voice or if my anger could do something right now, what would it need to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and really listening to that, honoring that, and then doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm picturing in my head is kind of like something like the stress cycle, like mm-hmm. it's there, it happens and it has to complete that cycle, yes. what, whatever it is. And like the, the walking, the mm-hmm. writing, the whispering, yes. yep. <laughs> the whispering <laughs> is a way of completing the cycle, yeah. but in a situation where boundaries were actually violated, even, yeah. and especially in like an abuse situation, completing that stress cycle. Yes. Needs to happen, but then there might also need to be action that happens on the other side. And is it possible to still make those decisions? I'm getting really deep here. Sorry. I'm very (laughs) mad right now. (laughs) Is it, is it possible to still make that decision in anger, like still be angry Mm -hmm. in those decisions, feel anger, I guess, or does it need to be completed? Uh, I would say, Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it's both of that, right? So, so the goal of anger is the goal of expressing anger is not that we would be this really calm, serene person all the time, and that there would be no tonality difference or cadence or anything like that. Anger does allow us to tap into things that we're passionate about. It allows us to advocate. It allows us to, you know, go after justice for ourselves or for other people. And sometimes that does not happen with a calm, serene voice. What I would say is that when we allow that anger cycle to process, like you're talking with that stress cycle, usually tend to, in us, elicit a different response in terms of going, okay, what I really want to say is this here, 
not all this other stuff. Or what I really want, the point I want to get across is this, not all the names that I want to call them. And so oftentimes when we allow ourselves to process, uh, kind of complete that anger cycle is what we'll call it, is that we actually have access to more possibilities of like, what do we want to do with that anger? And that might mean that we have a very impassioned voice or we speak quickly Mm -hmm. or loudly uh, or whatnot, but there's something different between that and then like screaming at a person out of our anger. And so, you know, that would be like perfect case scenario is that we would be able to have a chance to play it and then have a conversation or do that action. But I do think that, you know, there can be times where that anger really fuels the in the moment stuff that might need to be said as, as a way to assert a boundary or to just be assertive in general, or to let somebody know that what happened or what you're doing is not okay. What I would encourage people in those moments, that's a little bit of our fight response coming online, which is not a bad thing. In fact, it's important and our body needs that for survival. But then after if that's, if that's what's coming out is our fight response. And maybe again, for good reason, because we need to survive in that situation is once we know that we're safe, once we know that the threat has passed to come back and to reflect and to go, okay, was there anything else in me that is left undone or left unsaid? Is there anything that I'm, maybe I need to go back and, and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that thing. What I meant was this, or maybe, maybe in that it's like, oh, actually I didn't set this boundary and I really need to set the boundary. So I, I think that a lot of times we, we do get caught in anger in the moment as that fight response. And that's very human and very normal. If we cannot kind of get out of that because we really are in a place of unsafety or danger, can we come back to it later and take whatever necessary responsibility if if our behaviors or words were unkind mean mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the things yeah what would you say to someone because i i hear this often folks who say like i can i need anger to feel courage like mm. i'll go read the email beforehand so that i get yeah. you know work so that i i have the courage to like say mm-hmm. what what i think you know how how would you what's what's yeah. anger telling us in that situation. Well, part of me goes, I think that's a really lovely thing. Like if, especially if we can keep it in balance to say, I need that anger to be something that allows me to feel bravery, to feel courage, to feel the passion that I need. But can I make sure that it's not like taking me over? Like I'm seeing Mm -hmm. red as I'm going to have this conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, much easier said than done. Even in the moment, it's much easier said than done. But I would say, I think it's okay to remind ourselves like, you know, this thing was not okay. And, and I know that it's maybe would be really easy for me to be bulldozed by this person. So read like in this case, reading the email beforehand actually allows me to feel a greater sense of strength or empowerment. The one thing I would say is that anger can lead to a really natural sense of empowerment. So Mm. in this case, yes. (laughs) So let's go back to this idea of the email and we go, I'm going to read that. And I feel something in me. And instead of letting kind of anger take over, I'm going to notice like, where is the power in my body? And can I really latch on to that? There's a difference between like an angry outrage and feeling empowered. There's a more groundedness to that empowerment. So can I start to tap into a sense of empowerment so that when I have that conversation, 
that's what's motivating mm. versus this blind rage or, you know, kind of this defensive anger, you know, again, we're, I want to make sure that we're also like taking in, into context. Like if this is a person who has traditionally been dangerous to you or mm-hmm. abusive or whatnot, like it may not be that simple. There may need to be mm-hmm. other things that we put in place and say, Hey, if you're going to approach this person, let's mm-hmm. talk about other ways to keep you safe. But if this is a person that you're going to go talk to or an interaction that you're having, where you can tap into that sense of empowerment, or perhaps they are a person who has traditionally been safer, who has allowed you to speak. And and there's been room for dialogue. I would say using kind of that, the emotion, that anger will kind of rise and, and letting it turn into a sense of empowerment that might feel like even an internally safer place Mm -hmm. to come from as you're interacting with other people. I can imagine that, and I, I've definitely noticed this in myself, especially in certain conservative spaces where, especially for women, anger is a very negative thing or the expression of anger. And I bet a lot of us have confused empowerment with anger, thinking that that empowered feeling is actually anger Mm -hmm. when it's just not, Mm -hmm. it's just passion or (laughs) empowerment. It really might be in some of those cases. Well, if you think about, you know, when we're talking about how like society traditionally views something like anger between the, the binary of men and women, when women express anger, whether it is true empowerment or just emotion in general, yeah. they are looked at potentially as being manipulative, trying to control a situation. They're crazy. They're, you know, they're too much or whatever. Whereas when a man demonstrates or expresses anger, there's a sense of being in power, in control. They really know what they're talking about. They're really passionate. And so there's this big gap in between Mm. those, uh, those two different expressions of anger, simply because of the genitalia that one or the other holds. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's a, wasn't planning to get into that, but I think that's a, that's a a really key portion to address Mm -hmm. when we're talking about anger is based on our anatomy and our, the way that we grew up our, our interaction with anger might just be different just based on that. Um, And that's a good place to start of just asking, like, what were the messages that were Mm -hmm. told to me about, about anger? You may already know this, but the uncertain podcast is the affiliate podcast of tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. Yeah, I want to get into a little bit of like, just like what anger is telling us. Mm. And I have this like very vivid story. I was working in this church that was abusive. My boss was abusive. Mm. I was very disempowered in that situation. And one night, it was a Saturday night and I worked on Sunday mornings because I worked Mm. for a church. Saturday night, my neighbors in an apartment were having a party. And so Mm. it wakes me up in the middle of the night and I get up and I'm 
furious and I <laughs> go to the kitchen and I get the mop and I go back to my room and I start banging on the wall. And in the middle of the banging, I just stop. Mm. And I realized I'm not actually angry at that. I am so, I feel so powerless in the situation that I'm in. And here it was just like, it just like set me off in this way. It was a completely different normally. Yeah. It would be frustrating, but I would just put earplugs in and, you know, or go sleep on the couch or something, but not that level of rage. Mm. And it was just like, so I just remember it so vividly, like, Mm. I'm not angry at this. This isn't what I'm angry at. So I want to talk about what anger tells us and, mm. and how we know like yeah. that anger is telling us something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Have you uh, watched the movie Inside Out? It's the Disney yes. movie, right? So it's based <laughs> off of the uh, therapeutic modality, internal family systems, which I love. I, I love the languaging and yeah. we hear this every day, right? Part of me feels this way. The other part of me feels that way. And so it's a very normal way, but I love that character of anger, because I think that it's such a beautiful, just from beginning to end, there's just this beautiful picture of how destructive anger can be, as well as how helpful and empowering and necessary anger can be. And so I think when we're starting out or when I'm starting out working with clients who are just starting to approach their anger and like, what does this mean? Why is this helpful? I often use inside out as kind of a picture because it, for some reason they're like, oh yeah, if I have that little anger character in my, in my body, like, I feel like I could tap into it. So I think mm-hmm. there, that, that's some good ways to like start to tap in. So like, if I have this little anger part of me, when do I notice that it's starting to get revved up? Where do I feel that in my body? If that part had a voice or wanted to do an action, what would it be? And we start to notice then like, gosh, this part is always saying like, I don't want to, you know, and, and we might notice that over and over and over. And we go, that might be an indicator that there's something going on in my life where I feel powerless or helpless or something that, that isn't allowing me to be autonomous or to have choice. And, and that anger then shows us where the thing is, or potentially where the thing is in our life that might need some additional support or examination or rooting it out completely. Mm. And so I think anger can be really helpful that way. I also think that anger, like many emotions, is not always going to make cognitive rational sense, right? So I love in your story, you're going, I'm, I'm hitting the wall with this mop. And on the one hand, it's like, yes, this feels good, but this doesn't make cognitive sense. It does it. It did it. It was totally disproportional with the situation. Yeah. And you had enough awareness in that moment to stop and go, wait, what, what (laughs) does this mean? And immediately you were able to go, oh my gosh, I feel powerless. And, and perhaps that led you into an exploration of why that was, where, who, you know, Mm -hmm. all of those sorts of things. But sometimes our emotions are just looking for a way out and it's not going to make cognitive rational sense, or it might be bigger than what the situation Mm -hmm. calls for. This is so embarrassing. And I want to, I want to (laughs) make sure that people No, I have never harmed my dog. I know for me that there is anger that needs to be processed 
when I want to kick my dog because she won't poop when I want her to on the walk. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, if I'm wanting to like physically harm my sweet little animal, who is the most important thing to me in my life, Mm -hmm. I want to harm her for not doing this thing that clearly her little body just doesn't need to do right now. It's just (laughs) an inconvenience to me. That is always an indicator that I have some unprocessed anger. And it's usually around things like helplessness, powerlessness, Mm -hmm. or feeling very, very alone or unsupported. And so that's always a cue where I'm like, wow, the, the response is way bigger than what this situation calls for. Because the reality is, if my dog wants to go on another walk, we can do that. Mm-hmm. She can go to our backyard mm-hmm. she, or she can hold it. <laughs> like she's mm-hmm. an adult dog, right? So we cognitively right. know right. this, but right. in those moments of emotion, we don't always initially have space to get there. And so I mm-hmm. think that it's so wonderful that you are able to pause in that moment. And I think part of what like engaging with our anger is, is like slowing things down enough to go like, Hey, what's really going on here? Not in an accusatory way. Like, why are you hitting the wall with the mop? But going like crazy person. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If my little anger character is blowing fire out its head, like what's going on? That part is telling me that something is not okay. So if I got curious Instead mm-hmm. of shameful, judgmental, you know, accusatory, if I was just able to apply some curiosity of like, hey, little dude, what's happening right now? Mm-hmm. It is very uh, amazing how the more we engage with that part, the easier it is to identify like, oh, it's I'm feeling powerless again. Okay, yeah. well, if I'm feeling powerless, what would I need to help me feel either safer in this moment or more empowered? And if I could be empowered, what would that change? Well, gosh, I would, I would tell this person like, no, it's not okay for you to ask me to do this task, you know, and work 72 hours this week, Mm -hmm. or it would empower me to go to the neighbors and say, Hey guys, it's 4am. Could you turn your music down? (laughs) Right. But we don't ever get to that wisdom. If we are just kind of continuing to bang on the wall and not allow for that space of curiosity or that pause to happen, to understand that what the anger is telling us is incredibly valid. We just might need a different expression. Yeah. And we could go back to what you mentioned at the beginning to like complete the stress cycle, go for the walk, do the dancing, do the journaling to kind of complete it. Okay. Telling me something, something's off. Let's complete this cycle. Then let's think about this Yeah, rationally. Yeah. What's yeah. happening here? What are some things that you have seen said in like evangelical communities, like that have that have led to a misunderstanding or a misconception of anger? There's so much. Um, <laughs> and like, how many layers down do we get? Right. So I, I, I say this with a lot of tenderness and compassion for those people that are coming out of harmful religions, high demand, high control, fundamentalism, cults, these sorts of things, there is just a level of hurt and rawness that is kind of like something that everybody's bringing to the table. And so the amount, the the quickness that we can fly into an anger rage or feel defensive or misunderstood needing to defend ourselves is quite high. And 
And then given all of the beliefs that we are taught in these spaces, we're not taught how to think, we're taught what to think. Mm-hmm. There's very binary thinking. There's not, you know, when, when you get out of that, you're looking at changing literally everything about your life. And so there's this feeling of being untethered and ungrounded, and that can feel very dangerous to your system Mm -hmm. and put us into those spaces of being quite defensive and fighting, not because we are truly angry people, but because we are in survival mode, right? And Mm so- I want to kind of recognize that anger and that fight mode out of survival kind of go hand in hand because a lot of time anger or a lot of times anger is like the outward expression of being in fight mode. Mm -hmm. And so I I see this, unfortunately, a lot in a lot of the deconstruction spaces. And I think, like I said, I think it's a natural part of like coming out of these high demand, high control spaces and kind of moving through and into healing and, and moving forward with your life. But I see it come out when there's differences of opinions, when one person who tends to have a large following uh, says something, but there's dissent or disagreement and people are picking sides. When somebody does something and other people say, you can't say that, you can't do that. You, uh, when other people are like, you've harmed me, you're not listening to this person, you've done this, you know, like that anger comes out so fast. And I think in some ways, it's, it's us trying to work out all the suppressed anger that we've held in for so many years. In another hand, it's us fighting to try to get our voices heard to, because we see an injustice happening and we're not going to be silent anymore, mm-hmm. right? But because we've never had the ability to express our anger, to feel our anger, to think about it, to you know, whatever, it's like we're we're like little kids learning how to do something for the first time. And it can be mm. really, really messy, especially when you're not the only one. And there's like thousands of other people that are like mm. trying to figure this out all at the same time. Bunch and of trauma in one place. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. So yeah. I know that's something that myself and my colleagues, we are, are constantly being mindful of is this recognition that like, there is something really beautiful about somebody going like, I don't agree with that. And I can hold so much space and like applaud them for being able to say that, even if it's maybe inappropriately done. But when we're working with traumatized people, we should not be surprised when they yeah. respond like traumatized people. And so that's, that, that doesn't mean I have to shift myself, change myself in order to make you more comfortable, but it does for me, at least it puts a lens on so that I can go like, Hey, I'm going to allow this person to like have this. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to take offense to this. I can set a boundary if I need to, but this, uh, this is okay. They can do their thing. Like it doesn't hurt me as a person. I don't know you. So like mm-hmm. we're, we're good, but it can be incredibly distressful for a lot of people. I know I have a friend who calls them kabooms, like within the deconstruction community. And I know that those happen and it can feel like whiplash and just incredibly triggering and exhausting. And I've been in that, that too. I've, I've felt that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What might, what have you seen that people have kind of internalized about anger that may prevent them from tapping into that and accessing it? I just, yeah, I just feel like that's a deconstruction yeah. area, like of, yeah, know, think of anger. I mean, I think one of the, well, two of kind of the biggest messages, first of all, like anger is sinful, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a huge internalization. 
Even when we deconstruct, deconstruction is primarily a cognitive process. And so when we're looking at deconstructing anger, it's one thing to say anger is okay. It's another thing for my body to believe not only is it okay, but there's some healthy and appropriate ways to express it. And so I think that that can be something that we've internalized. Anger is sinful. And then on the other hand, or maybe with that is also like anger is incredibly dangerous Mm -hmm. that if I allow myself to express it. Oh yeah. I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to, yeah. Yeah. And that can be for good reason. Sometimes we've seen that happen to us, whether inside churches or outside of churches, I think online spaces can be very scary because we see people working out their anger and it can feel very scary to bear witness to that. And so we feel like if I tap into that, I'm going to do that (laughs) in the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if I tap into my anger, will I be able to keep the relationships that I have in my life? Or, I, or am I going to just be this really mm-hmm. awful, angry person who, who ruins things? And so I think part of, because it goes with the sinfulness, like when, when we're ingrained to believe that it's sinful, then we're not ever shown like a healthy way. We're not modeled healthy anger expressions, given the tools to not only recognize our anger, but feel it and allow it to be expressed. And so then we embody that it's sinful and we embody that it is incredibly dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so then when we come out of these spaces, like high demand, high control religion, and we're, in we're scared space. of ourselves. Yeah. We're scared of our own emotion. Absolutely. Ooh. Yeah. 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 Oh crap. I had another question. <laughs> oh, I completely lost it. Shoot. Oh, is anger bitterness? Mm, I don't think so. I think it could lead to it, but I don't think it's bitterness. I don't have like a pat answer for like the definition of bitterness, but to me, bitterness has a history behind it. So I, the way I'm going to use a different word, resentment, the way I define resentment is anger with a history and something Mm -hmm. about that also feels real similar to bitterness Mm -hmm. of it's an attitude that's developed or over time because I have unprocessed anger or resentment Mm -hmm. or, or something else where it almost like leads me into this posture and attitude of how I live life and how Mm -hmm. I view the world and how I interact with other people. To me, that's how I see it. And I see that anger could, could lead to that. Like the, the impairment of anger could mm. be bitterness um, and resentment, but I don't think that it starts off that way. And so, yeah. And someone it's, merely expressing anger, it's not an automatic sign of yeah. unforgiveness or bitterness or no. built up resentment. It, it might be yeah. that signal of mm-hmm. something's not right here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, because anger is an expressive emotion, like something about bitterness feels like stuckness. So like, I'm just festering in this. I'm not actually moving it through me. Whereas anger with that, that active piece behind it, it may be many times throughout your life, you have feelings of anger, maybe even about the same thing. I don't think that that means you're bitter. I really don't. I think if you are angry and you don't express it and you just shove it down, shove it down, shove it down over time, and then you're angry again and you don't express it and you shove it down. I do think that that can absolutely turn into bitterness. But I think about various things that have happened to me 
by people, you know, like you, you talked about working in a church. I also worked in a church that was incredibly abusive and there, you know, I haven't worked in the, in that church for almost 20 years now, which is crazy to think about, you know, but there's times where I, I have an aha moment where I see something in a totally different way, or I realize like, oh, he said this and what he was trying to do was control me. And I feel anger and I allow myself in that moment to be like, yeah, that that's appropriate because what that person did to me was not okay. It was a violation mm-hmm. of my personhood, my autonomy, my body, whatever it was. And even though we're almost 20 years past that right. point, I don't, I I don't see myself as a bitter person. No. Yeah. I wouldn't put that in the bitterness category at all. It's like at that moment, your body remembered it. Yeah. You felt anger. You went through the process. I I feel like so many people though Mm -hmm. would characterize that as bitterness. Like uh, that. I still, I'm still hurt 20 years later. How can I still, you know, like that kind of thing. But, and I, I think that, you know, I think that it's common in churches to, to do that. I know that there's people that are in my life that uh, are still in those fundamentalist spaces that go like, if you bring anything up from the past, or if, if you've said that you've forgiven somebody and then you bring it up again, right. that is bitterness. You have an attitude of bitterness. And I would say, I, I don't, I, I don't agree with that. Um, right. Because again, if we're looking at bitterness is this like stuck place attitude, how you're acting out of and anger is simply like honoring ourselves in mm-hmm. the moment and letting it work itself through us. Like mm-hmm. that's not holding on to the past. It's just, we mm-hmm. can't determine when the past sometimes creeps up into our life. And if we're like exactly. taking responsibility for that and saying like, Hey, yeah, th- there's going to be times where I feel certain ways. And, and in that I'm going to just I'm going to do what I need to do to take care of myself, to let it work itself through. And then I I move into the next moment. That to me feels very different than being like stuck in the past and saying, because these things happened to me now, I can't do these things or I, you know, I can't get past this or this is how I'm defined or, you know, whatnot. Yeah. So there's something that feels like it moves and stuck with bitterness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in a situation like a chronic experience, like of abuse in a church that lasted over a long period of time or like childhood abuse or whatever, like that's, that's a chronic experience and you're not going to be able to address every layer of that, you know, yeah. in a couple years of therapy. Like I, no. I was, I was in my family of origin cults until I was 26 and I have determined it's going to take 26 years yeah, for me to work through it all. <laughs> so to take the same amount of time I was there. Yeah. Get through it. So when I'm 52, mm-hmm. we'll be good. <laughs> That's how long it's going to take. So yeah. So those, those things do pop up. It isn't a sign of unforgiveness. It isn't a sign of bitterness. It's yeah. just your body's like, Hey, yeah. you can handle this one, right? Now. Yeah. And I would say, in fact, it's, it's the opposite in the sense that like when you do handle it those are actually moments of healing that help you Mm -hmm. avoid you know when we talk about individuals that have complex trauma or complex ptsd the healing in my opinion like the the process of healing looks different than somebody with ptsd where we're looking to resolve some specific instances that happened when we're talking about complex ptsd or complex trauma we're looking at integration. We're looking at, Hey, you had 
years, maybe even decades of these experiences that were overwhelming, inescapable, powerless. Like we can't go back and resolve every single one of the instances because we would be going back to every single moment of your life. And that is just exhausting and impossible and not helpful, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there might be some certain things and messages that we look to resolve, but overall, we're looking at that integrative piece, which means that part of our part of our healing journey over the course of our life is recognizing that we will have these things come up. There's going to be times where we will feel triggered, where we will feel anger or sadness or confusion. And that does not mean that we're living in the past. And it also doesn't mean that we're not healing. It doesn't mean that all the work that we've done before that point doesn't count. It's just an opportunity for one more layer to be processed and to be integrated and to gain more skills and resources or use what you've already learned to be able to find safety in the moment, internalize resources, and be able to be present to give your body what you need and perhaps what you didn't have back then, and then move forward into the next moment. Woo! Fantastic. <laughs> Yay, I'm so excited about this episode. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you so much for addressing awesome. anger. Yeah. Um, super grateful to get to talk to you. Have a lovely evening. All right. <laughs> talk to you See later. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time. Here's a clip from my new monthly podcast, Pop Culture and Trauma. Okay, Marion, what are you drinking? I am drinking cold brew, but I was drinking margaritas. I was also drinking margaritas, and now I am also drinking cold brew, so that we can sober up before we watch part <laughs> two of season four, <laughs> Stranger Things. Yes! <laughs> Here we go. So question. Yes. How much trauma do the Stranger Things kids have? Tons. Too so much. much. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just talk about, let's talk about like kind of character by character. Okay. The Max. Max. Which I love. Oh my God. Max has a ton of trauma. Tons. So she is connected to her stepfather, her stepbrother, who was an asshole. Um, her mom, who now is kind of neglecting her. And where's her real dad? Yeah, we don't know anything we about know Max's about real dad, do no. we? No. I wonder if we'll find out. Yes. Her father is Papa. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the Harry Potter way, like the way that she escaped from being in the, what's his name? Vector. Yeah. Vector, Lord Vector. Vector's clutches. <gasps> through music. Was through music, through art. Yes. Through love. Yes.
And through friendship. Yeah. Super Harry Potter. Yeah, that is that she is gay. (laughs) I love that. Yes, that was how she survived and how she is continuing to deal with her trauma. Yeah. This podcast will be available in the fall. So follow my personal Instagram to find out when it releases.